Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, we are continuing in our series entitled Family Plan. And we're seeking to discover the biblical model for marriage and family. We're not going to uh, spend time trying to criticize other models that are out there in the culture. We want to know what the scripture says that marriage and family should be and should look like. And so we're going we're gonna to hold up that model as God's ideal that all of us with his help uh, would strive to live out. And there are many different facets of God's family plan. And today, I'm called upon to deal with a very delicate and sensitive uh, matter, but one that, that impacts all of us, every single one of us. Really, even if you are not married, uh, this, this applies to you because all of us living in this world have to deal with the issue of money. Now, if if you, like some in the previous service, had been here all 30-plus years that I've served as pastor and taught the Word of God here, uh, you would be able to look back and know that you could probably count on one hand uh, the number of sermons that I have preached about money through the years and have fingers left over. It's just not something that I have taught on uh, very often. But uh, that's really probably to my fault and neglect because it's not because the Bible doesn't have much to say about money. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. And, and there's going to be so much Scripture shared with you today, uh, it's going to be like you're drinking from a fire hydrant. But I want you to, to, to keep your, your minds and your heart open. And, and let me say this at, at the outset. If you are not yet a Christ follower, if you have not yet committed your heart and life to Christ and everything you are to Christ, uh, then none of these things are incumbent upon you to feel an obligation to abide by. Because if you're not a Christ follower, you're free to live your life as you choose. And in reality, all of us have freedom. This church does not exercise any pressure or uh, authority over you, and we seek never to manipulate people. But we would be negligent in our responsibility if we didn't teach you what the Bible has to say about every important area of life. And let's face it, the, the area of life dealing with our money is important, is it not? We give a lot of attention to it. We have to. That's the way it is to live in this world. Uh, I, I want to give you a disclaimer as I start to teach this morning. I do not come to you with the pretense of being an expert financial manager. Not even close. Nor do I claim that, that I or even Cindy and I together uh, are perfect role models in this. In fact, uh, through 51 years of marriage, we've made more than our mis series of, of mistakes. And I can look back on some of those decisions that I made, usually what I didn't listen to my wife, but I can look back on some of those decisions and go, what were you thinking? You know, why, why did you do that? And I would imagine I'm not the only person in this room who could say that. 
Can't we all look back on financial decisions and now in retrospect go, what was I thinking? Uh, And so I don't come to you to claim to have a perfect role model to present, but here is what I am claiming perfection. The Word of God is perfect. The Word of God is authority. The Word of God is truth, and it speaks a lot to the management of financial resources, and we'll talk more about this later, that in reality, it never was ours to begin with. It all came from God. It all belongs to God, if you are a Christ follower. So, here's another thing. Uh, I'm going to use a little bit different format than I I typically do in a message. Uh, If you Pay attention to the the form in which I usually preach. I give you somewhere near the beginning what I call the big idea. It's the one sentence summary of the whole theme uh, of the message because I want you to remember something uh, as you leave this place uh, in case somebody happens to ask what the pastor preach about, you don't go, uh... I don't know, but it's a pretty good sermon. No, I want you to remember actually what it was about. So I give you a big idea, and then typically I then unpack the Scripture with some statements of application kind of sprinkled in, and then at the end I give you what I used to call next steps. I just talk about them now as being challenges about how to apply what the Scripture has taught that day. But today I'm going to change that up. I'm going to give you the challenges as we go through the message. And and so you don't have to wait to the end to know how to apply it. I I want you to see clearly what I believe with all my heart the Bible teaches about Christ followers and their money. And we'll talk about those five challenges beginning in just a moment. Some of you will recognize the name Dave Ramsey. Anybody ever heard of Dave Ramsey? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. I don't agree with everything Dave Ramsey says, but he's got a great ministry. He has helped a lot of people uh, with the management of their finances. And one of the arms of Dave Ramsey's ministry is called Ramsey Solutions. And they did an extensive survey uh, among many people, many couples, about the relationship between money and divorce, the relationship between money and divorce. And I want to share with you quickly five of the findings of their uh, survey and study, and we ought to find these disturbing. Uh, Here's the first one he found. Money arguments are the second leading cause of divorce behind only infidelity. The second leading cause of divorce. That's how big an issue money is. Here's another finding from his study. High levels of debt and poor communication lead to stress and anxiety when it comes to finances. Can you say amen to that? I mean, all of us who are married and deal with money know that's true. If we are covered by a lot of debt and we're not communicating well about finances, stress and anxiety are just covering the relationship. Here's another one of his findings. Nearly half of couples with $50,000 or more in debt say money is their top reason for arguing. If you have huge debt, it's going to lead to constant conflict 
in the marriage. Uh, here's another similar finding. They found that nearly two-thirds of all marriages start in debt. That the, that the marriage begins by carrying debt from, from both bride and groom into uh, the marriage. And then this last one really hit me because it, it just is it, so troubling. They found that one-third of people who argue with their spouse about money admit to hiding purchases because they know their partner won't approve. And so you see, it becomes about more than just money. It becomes an issue of truth and trust. And so I hope you can see that what a big deal money is in the matter of marriage. And this study alone from Ramsey Solutions validates my big idea, this one-sentence summary of the theme I'm trying to get across today. Here it is. If we mismanage our money, we will create chaos in our marriage and in our family. If we mismanage our money, chaos will be the result. So, what are we to do? How are we to look upon this issue? How are we to handle this issue? Well, I think before I get to the, the five challenges, it's important for us to see Jesus' attitude about money. Yeah, Jesus had a philosophy. Jesus had a, a, an idea. Jesus had a, a clue. You know what? The disciples had to have money to pay their expenses as they went about doing ministry. And, and talk about complications. Guess who handled the finances? Anybody know? Judas. How'd you like to have Judas be your treasurer? I mean, yeah, so Jesus understood. He was not clueless when it came to money. And so here's what he said our attitude ought to be about financial resources. I'm taking this from Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm selecting very relevant verses here. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Let me pause here for just a moment. Are you amazed at what people will steal? Uh, am I the only one? Somebody grunt, let me know you're alive out there. Okay, are you amazed at what people will steal? People will steal from the church. We've had more than one trailer stolen right off church property. Recently in Dalton, I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, somebody stole our power washer. I mean, what a dirty person. They need a power washer to, you know, uh, never mind. Anyway, people will steal even from the church. And so Jesus is saying, don't put all of your trust, don't be obsessed with things that are going to rot and rust and fade away or that somebody will just steal. Because, verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And then Jesus went on to say this, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. 
For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Or I would, I would translate this, uh, you cannot serve God and be obsessed with money. So what should we do? Okay, go to verse 31. Jesus said, so don't worry about these things. He's not saying don't manage well. We'll see that later. He says we should manage well. But he's saying don't, don't worry about it. Don't become obsessed with these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Oh, you know. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people who don't know me. But look at this. Your heavenly Father knows all your needs. It's like God is not clueless about what your needs are. He knows. And then one of the most powerful verses in all the New Testament is verse 33. Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. This, this is a conditional promise of God from the lips of Jesus. Here's a condition. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And here's what God will do in response. And he will give you everything you need. You can take that to the bank. If you will seek him and his kingdom above all else, our faithful heavenly Father will meet your needs. Here, here's what I think Jesus was recognizing. Let me put it in my words. Money is a necessary and useful tool to live our lives. Isn't that right? It's, I mean, you can't go to HEB and put all your groceries on that conveyor belt and say, I love Jesus, can I take my groceries home? No, you have to have money to live in this world. Money is a necessary and useful tool to live our lives, but it makes a terrible idol. It makes a terrible God, little g. It is not worth our obsession and our worship. So that's Jesus' attitude and philosophy about material resources and money. So how do we put that into practice? What are the practical dimensions of a Christ-honoring, biblical view of this issue of money? I'm glad you asked, but even if you didn't, I'm going to tell you, all right? Here are five challenges for Christ followers and their money. Here's the first, most important. Honor the Lord first with your financial resources. Honor the Lord first with your financial resources. I want to go all the way back to the Old Testament prophet Malachi. And I want you to see what Malachi said in verse 3. I, I love Old Testament prophets. They don't cut us any slack. They cut right to the chase. Here's what Malachi said, chapter 3, verse 8 and following. He said, should people cheat God? Anybody know the answer to that question? No, not, not smart. Should people cheat God? But he said to the people of Israel, God speaking to Malachi, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? You have cheated me, he says, of the tithes and offerings due to me. And he says to the nation, you're under a curse 
for your whole nation has been cheating me. So what is it we should do to honor God? Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food, enough resources in my temple. And again, a conditional promise of God. Look at it. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. I love this. God's saying, I dare you. Try it and see if he won't be faithful. Put me to the test. And then he describes it in agricultural terms that they would be familiar with. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, some of you maybe already are saying, no, wait, 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 preacher, that's Old Testament. They were under the law. We, we don't have to pay any attention to any of that in the New Testament times. Oh, now, wait a minute. What did Jesus have to say? There is a huge clue to whether or not we should still tithe in Luke eleven forty two. Let me give you the setting here so you'll understand. In Luke 11, Jesus is dressing down the Pharisees. Uh, if you know who the Pharisees were, they were the most legalistic religious phonies on the planet during the time of Jesus' ministry. I mean, they followed all the laws to the, the very letter of the law, and they added a whole bunch of rules that they made up to it, and they were just arrogant and proud about how strict they were in following all those rules, which included tithing every little tiny thing about uh, their, their income. And so Jesus is chewing them out, basically, in Luke 11. But in verse 42, right in the middle, there's a clue to the one thing they did right in the middle of all the other things they got wrong because their hearts were far from God. So look at it with me, Luke eleven forty two. 42. Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. He's saying these big heart issues you have totally missed, but then look what he says. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. In other words, it starts with the heart, and the heart issues are what's most important. And let me make this clear. If you don't have a heart to give, if you don't have a heart to tithe, if you don't have a heart to support the work of God, then just, just keep, the, keep the money because God doesn't really need our money. Are you with me? He needs our hearts. But if he has our hearts, the way he supports the work of the kingdom of God, beginning with the local church, is with the tithe, the first 10%. And how do, how do I know that, that Malachi really meant the church? How does that transfer? He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. 
What's the storehouse? He tells us, so that there will be food in my temple. In the Old Testament times, the temple was the place of worship collectively for the people of God. Where do we come to collectively worship God today? The church. The church. And the church is not the building that we have to pay for the building. Uh, the, the church is the people of God. And the work of the church is to be supported with the tithes of God's people. Now, some might say, now, now, Pastor, aren't there other good Christian causes? Can I divide up my 10% and give a little over here to the church and then have a, a little bit more over here to, uh, to maybe uh, this cause or that cause? Can I tell you, Cindy and I practiced for many years, as God provided, we have given to a number uh, of worthy Christian causes, sponsoring children, uh, in compassion and world vision and, and just uh, there are a multitude of wonderful causes but I believe scripture teaches the first 10% the tithe goes to the local church for the work of the kingdom of God that's, that's where the scripture teaches it ought to go and so we have practiced. That comes out before anything else. In fact, I don't even write a check anymore. It just comes out of our account every month. And you know what? I'm not even tempted not to give it because I don't want to rob God. I, I got to stop and tell you a quick story. Pastor Larry Edwards, who, who now is in heaven, uh, one Sunday when he was serving on Cindy's dad's church staff, uh, they had a, a, a guest quartet from the Houston Police Department. Now, some of you may have seen them through the years. Uh, I can't remember what they were called, but anyway, the what? Peacemakers, okay? And, and they would come sing at churches, and they were really good, but they were in full uniform, including their sidearm. You with me? Okay, and so that particular Sunday was Pastor Larry's uh, job to uh, present the offering and pass the offering plates. And so uh, the peacemakers with their guns and everything sang a song and Pastor Larry was up here and uh, it was his job to take the offering and he said, will a man rub, rob God? And he looked back at them with their guns and he said, not today. I love it. <laughs> but in all seriousness, why would I want to rob the God who gave me everything I have? The first 10% goes to the local church if you're going to live by Scripture. Okay, that's the first principle. The others will be shorter, I promise. Here's the second. Practice generosity and avoid indulgent extravagance. Here's where I take that. 1 Timothy 6, quick, quick background. The Apostle Paul is mentoring a young pastor named Timothy, and he's teaching them, teaching him what to teach the people in the early church. And, and so here's what Paul says he should teach about this issue to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 17. He said to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Which is so unreliable. 
You know, there are going to be times when the stock market goes down and the price of gas goes up. Hmm. Their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Always being ready to share with others. Uh, Andy Stanley, a preacher in, in Atlanta, Georgia, said something that has really stuck with me on this subject. Here's what Andy said. Not everything that comes to you is for you. Not everything that comes to you is for you. If you are a follower of Christ, sometimes he places financial resources in your hands under your control that he didn't give to you just so you could live more lavishly or extravagantly. Sometimes he put resources into your hands or my hands as Christ followers so that we could share with people in need so that we could give generously to those who have need. And let me just stop quickly and say this. I don't know of a church on the planet that does that better than Magnolia's First. We have the most generous people I've never ever known of anywhere. But sometimes God gives us resources, not just so we can indulge ourselves with some new uh, extravagance, but so that we can bless others who have need. Now, somebody say, well, Pastor, how do we know where that line is? Uh, that on this side, it would be logical and pleasing to God and acceptable to use that to provide comforts or, or something for my family, and, and, and it's okay. And on the other side of the line, that's extravagant, that's unnecessary, that's something I could use in the kingdom. Where is that line? How do I know where that is? I can't answer that for you. Uh, Cindy and I have to, that is not a question to be answered, that's a tension to be managed. Does that make sense? It is an everyday seeking of the Lord to say, Lord, did you give that to me so that we can spend it on ourselves somehow? Or did you give that to us because you're going to put somebody in our path who needs something more than we do? And if our heart is seeking the Lord, he will show us. Now, I want to give you a disclaimer here too. And don't miss this. We are not to give to others in ways that just enable them to be irresponsible. Does that make sense? That there are people who will just take and take and take because they don't want to be responsible for themselves. They don't want to be disciplined. They don't want to work hard. They, they don't want to have to be accountable. They just want you to pay their bills and them to live irresponsibly. And sometimes we do more damage than good when we give to people who are seeking to be irresponsible. Does that make sense? We need to seek the Lord. We need to promote responsibility. 
And, and if somebody is just trying to scam, and we do this as a church with our ministries, if somebody's just trying to scam the system to get a free lunch, we're not helping them if we give that free lunch to them. We want to help people be responsible. We want to help people be productive. We want to help people find the goodness of God and the blessing of honest, hard work. But when you are open to give what God gives to you beyond your needs in ways that honor Him, if you seek to practice generosity, here's an old saying that's absolutely true. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Our God is generous to us. Let me show you a quick example from the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth about a group of churches in Macedonia that was not a bunch of rich people. They were common, ordinary, working people who didn't have a lot, but they had learned of desperate need of the believers in the churches at Jerusalem. They were Gentiles. The ones in Jerusalem were Jews. They had every reason politically and culturally not to even like these guys. But they heard of their need, and they began to give with unbelievable generosity. Look at, look at Paul's letter, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. He said, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. These were people that loved Jesus and were filled with his joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again. It wasn't Paul begging them, come on guys, you know, give more. No. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem who were in dire need. They did, they even did more than we had hoped for their first action, don't miss this, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, Paul said, just as God wanted them to do. Now I want to make, make something clear here. There are those who teach that if you give, and usually it's TV preachers who are saying, if you give to my ministry, then God is bound by his word to give back to you. Uh, somebody out there, send $1,000, blah, 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 blah. And, and they turn it into deception and manipulation. And those folks are going to have to answer to the Lord someday. So I'm not saying if you give, God's going to be like that slot machine that you know, rings up a winner every time. Our God is not like that. But let me tell you this. If you are faithful to the Lord, if you are generous with the right heart, and that is the, the pattern of your life and your faith journey, I can promise you that over the long journey that God will be faithful to bless you because of your generosity.
that God will give back more to you than you will give to him. You can't outgive God. And that in his own time and in his own way, it's not always in dollars, but in his own time and in his own way, our generous God will bless his generous people. So practice generosity and avoid indulgent extravagance. Well, here's the next challenge. Avoid consumer debt for depreciating possessions. Avoid consumer debt for depreciating possessions. Here's what I'm trying to say. Don't borrow money you don't have to buy things you don't need. Don't put things on credit cards that are going to charge you 18 to 20%. By the way, do you know what robbery that is? 18 to 20%. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to, like, to invest in a home that's going to appreciate. I'm not even saying, Dave Ramsey would disagree with me, uh, sometimes to, to take shorter-term debt to have a vehicle that's not going to break down every week is wrong in my humble but accurate opinion. But I'm saying this, there's a lot of extravagance that goes on in the buying of homes and the buying of vehicles that could be more wisely used for the kingdom of God. I, well, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I'm just going to jump out here. I don't understand people that buy a $100,000 vehicle when God could use that money to invest in something that's going to last long after that vehicle is a rusty piece of junk. Wow, it got quiet. Well, whether it's a Mercedes or one of these monster trucks, okay, that's between you and God. But I'm trying to say, be cautious about borrowing money for things that won't last. Here's what John, the apostle, said about these material things in our attitude toward them. 1 John 2, beginning with verse 15. He said, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. Things, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievement and possessions. Obsession with things. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And here's the, the warning John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation who saw the Lord high and lifted up. Here's what John said. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Do not borrow money that you don't have to buy things you don't need. Be wise. Avoid consumer debt. And we must always ask ourselves these kind of questions. Are you longing for things that will last? That Mercedes won't last. Oh, by the way, if you drive a Mercedes, I'm not trying to insult you. 
I'm just using that as an example. Those are the things that get me in trouble. But, uh, but things of this world will fade away. Are you longing for things that will last? Are you living for something worth living for? Jesus said you cannot be obsessed with God and money. Okay, next challenge. Manage present needs and plan for future needs. Uh, Very quickly, uh, the setting of Matthew 25. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25. Uh, he talks about a master who obviously um, is, is a, an image of God in the story. And he talks about three servants, which represents us, his followers. And one servant, he gave five bags of silver to invest. One servant, he gave two bags of silver to invest. One servant, he gave one bag. And if you know the story, you know the guy that had one bag did what? He buried it. It brought back no return, not for him, but for his master. It didn't end well for him. We're not going to read that far in the parable, but it didn't end well. And, and so here, here's the, the part of the story that, that I want to drive home. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. It wasn't his money, his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how he had used his money. Let me just stop here and quickly say, we're going to have to give an account too of how we use his money. Okay, verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. I mean, this was more than just a cute story Jesus told. It was to teach us something. And here's what it was to teach us. Everything, Christ follower, everything we have came from God and belongs to him. He's the master. It's his resources. He just put them in our hands. We are responsible to manage what he has given us wisely. To manage it wisely. None of us will do it perfectly, but to manage it wisely. And so what I'm trying to say is, have a plan. Have a budget Account for giving to God what we should be giving to God. Account for having margins to be able to give as God leads, no matter how little it might have to be in your budget. Have, and Dave Ramsey talks about this a lot, have an emergency fund. Because you know what? Vehicles break down. And medical expenses happen. And unexpected things break at your house and my house. If we don't have an emergency fund, then guess how it gets paid for? On those 20% credit cards. Been there, done that. It's not good. 
Have a plan and work the plan. Manage wisely what God puts into your hands. Because if you don't, life gets ugly. And if I can just give you this word of wisdom, spending more than you earn never turns out well. It never does. Have a plan. One final challenge and then we're done. Learn to live with gratitude to God and contentment with whatever he provides. It's not really about the amount of money he gives us. It may seem that way, but it's not. It's about our attitude toward it. One final passage, Philippians 4. Let me give you the quick context. The Apostle Paul is responding to a church in Philippi who had sent a financial gift to him to meet his needs. And he's saying to them, I'm grateful, but here's something that you need to understand about me. And oh, by the way, when he wrote this, he was in prison. He was in prison. But he said, I've learned to be content, whatever my circumstance. Philippians 4.11. Not that I was ever in need, Paul said, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And how could you do that, Paul? Verse 13, you know it. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Above all these things, we as Christ followers, whether he has given us riches or we're barely living from paycheck to paycheck, we need to live with an attitude of gratitude to our generous God because he is faithful. And among most of the peoples in this world, the poorest among us are rich. But most important, we're rich in what matters most the gift of God's grace through faith in Christ. If we are faithful and wise with our finances, God will bring blessings to our marriage and to our family. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to have a very brief time of prayer and invitation. So listen closely. If you need to pray with someone, maybe it's about your finances, maybe it's about something totally unrelated to that, our deacons and their wives will be here at the front on the lower floor and up in the balcony. They'll pray with you about anything on your heart. If your need is for physical healing, Cindy and I will be here at the front. We'd be honored to anoint you with oil of Scripture teaches and pray for your healing. But most of all, if you're here today and God has spoken to your heart and you need to take a step toward Christ in your faith journey, maybe that step might be that step across the line of faith to become a Christ follower. If you'll just come to one of these deacons and their wives and say to them, I need to take the next step. That's all you have to say. I need to take the next step. If you say that, they will show you how to do that so that you might move closer to Jesus Christ. And then after our prayer time, 
we'll close the service with a prayer for you, Valdi. Our Father, we pray that in these next few brief moments, you would speak to hearts, and that if there are those who need to take a step in their faith journey, they'd be willing to come and to say to one of these godly couples, I need to take the next step, Lord. I need to take the next step. And Lord, if there are those who need to pray with somebody, maybe their finances are a mess and God's spoken to their heart, or maybe it's about something totally unrelated, help them to know they can come pray with these good folks. Lord, we pray that you would move in these moments together. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? And if you need to respond, come do so now.